Welcome to Innovation Matters, a podcast organized by the National Innovation Network. The National Innovation Network stimulates international cooperation for companies, research institutes, and public authorities in the field of innovation, technology, and science. My name is Will, your host today. I'm the Innovation Officer in the National Office Taipei. In this episode, we will be talking about an important collaboration between Taiwan and Netherlands, the builder foundation of the semiconductor industry today. Semiconductor is a highly innovative industry, but innovation will not just appear out of nowhere. It leaves some history traces. So today, we invite two guests to join us on this journey to trace back the beginning of the empire of semiconductor industry. Let's welcome Professor Mila Davis from Enghof University of Technology and Dr. Chin Puling from Chonghua Institution for Economic Research. Welcome. Could you share what's the main focus of your research and a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. But first of all, thank you, Will, and the Netherlands Office Taipei for the invitation to contribute to this podcast, Innovation Matters. My name is Mila Davids. I work at the Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands. I have a background in business history and history of technology. I've been working on the history of the Dutch manufacturing and um, I also did a project on innovation in the Netherlands and the relevant knowledge infrastructure. What then became clear is that for the innovative performance, especially in a small country like the Netherlands, a lot of knowledge and expertise comes from foreign knowledge sources. So my current research is about global connections, cooperation and learning between companies in different parts of the world. I'm especially interested in the relations between the Netherlands and Taiwan in historical perspective. This interest has its roots in my past research in Philips, which has been active in Taiwan since mid-1916. What also caught my attention was that since end 20th century, a number of Taiwanese companies started to establish facilities in the Netherlands, Acer and Giant, for example. So a few years ago, I went to Taiwan to further explore the connections between Taiwan and the Netherlands. And Professor Taichi Chen was so kind to host me during my research visit at National Taiwan University. So during my stay there, I was able to interview a lot of former executives from Philips. Um, thanks to Frans Gaidanus, the former head of Philips Research Asia, who got me in contact with them. Uh, I had also the privilege to interview Mr. I.C. Lowe, who has been very important for Philips Taiwan. That I felt and feel so comfortable in Taiwan is maybe also because the ancestors of, from my mother's side originally came from Fujian and later went to Indonesia. So talking in a podcast, of course, you cannot see me. But uh, people in Holland always ask me, where do you come from? Um, and that's because I'm not tall with blonde hair, but small with dark hair. Dark hair. So that's because my mother is Asian, Indo-Chinese, and my name Davids is coming from my Dutch father. So to come back to my research, it was at the National Taiwan University that I met Chung Pulin. We started to work together and did some of the interviews together. 
Yeah, that's quite conventional. I don't know Lepa before our podcast. That's very interesting that your uh, family has a relation with the actually from China, from the Southeast Asia. That's very interesting. So how about Jinpu? Can you introduce yourself to us? Uh, thank you, Will, and hello, Mila. Uh, actually, I'm also very excited to hear uh, so many stories uh, of Mila today. And uh, I'm Jinpu Ling uh, from Chonghua Institute for Economic Research. And uh, Zhonghua Institute is a think tank in Taiwan. And my uh, research fields uh, include international business and uh, international uh, investment. Uh, and especially, uh, I studied how the companies uh, adjust their strategies uh, in an overseas uh, environment. So uh, I study like uh, how Taiwanese uh, electronic companies uh, operation in China or uh, Southeast Asia. So um, a few years ago, uh, I was very happy to uh, meet Mila and uh, uh, join the interviews uh, with uh, Philips uh, and also the follow-up uh, study. So uh, today I'm glad to be here and share uh, some uh, stories about Philip uh, in Taiwan and the impact. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, and we are happy to have you too. Uh, you two have both done the research on history of economic and uh, business between Taiwan and Netherlands together. So I believe you are the two ideal person to share more insight on today's topic. So uh, to begin with, uh, let me share a few pieces of news that uh, was reported early this year about the semiconductor and the global supply chain. On 9th of January, there is news from Nikkei Asia say that global chip shortage threatens automakers worldwide. One major cause of the bottleneck comes from the semiconductor industry's horizontal configuration, in which production and development are separate, and each manufacturer specializing in a particular task. And on 24th of the January, this one is from writers. Uh, Germany urged Taiwan to help its auto chip shortage. Germany has asked Taiwan to persuade Taiwanese manufacturers to help ease the shortage of semiconductor chips in the auto sector, which is hampering the fragging economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Then on January 26, Bloomberg has this news titled Dangerous Dependent on Taiwan for Semiconductors. A shortage of auto chip that exposed TSMC's key role in the supply chain. Taiwan's role in the world economy largely existed below the radar until it comes to recent problems of as the auto industries suffer shortfalls in chips used for everything from parking sensor to reduce emission. With car makers including uh, Germany's Volkswagen, U.S. Ford Motor, and Japan's Toyota Motor forced to stop production, Taiwan's importance has suddenly become too big to ignore. Reading through these news pieces and reflecting back to our daily life, there are many products uh, that need semiconductor to empower it. Taiwan is famous for the production of high-tech segments which include the semiconductor industry. And the global supply chain of the chip become more and more important, especially when the economy hit from COVID-19 and the circumstances make it more obvious that Taiwan plays a key role in it. And surprisingly, Taiwan's semiconductor industry and high-tech segment 
are entangled with the Netherlands. Why so? Innovation is a key when it comes to high-tech industries. Taiwan alone might not achieve the success we have today. If you go back in the time, the start of the development of semiconductor is actually with the help from the companies in the Netherlands. So, uh, Chimpu, what was the story of the semiconductor in Taiwan and in Netherlands? Uh, thank you, Will. Uh, you mentioned about the Taiwanese importance to the global supply chain, uh, in particularly in the uh, semiconductor sector. Um, I think I may firstly provide you a brief picture of Taiwan's uh, semiconductor industry. Uh, in last year, uh, 2020, uh, the total output value of Taiwan's semiconductor industry was about 109 billion US dollars, uh, with a growth rate of uh, 20.9. Uh, this performance is ranked second in the world, uh, next to the United States. And if we go to uh, different sectors, uh, Taiwan is ranked first in the world uh, by market share in both foundry and also the packaging and testing sectors. Um, but this great uh, success actually takes uh, decades. Mm -hmm. um, if we go back to history, uh, as a latecomer of developing semiconductor industry, uh, Taiwan started to invest this industry in the 1970s. Uh, actually, it's quite late uh, compared to United States or other European uh, countries. Uh, in the 1977, uh, the first model plant of semiconductor uh, was established by uh, Industrial Technology Research Institute. Uh, we called ITRI. ITRI. Yes, very uh, leading uh, think tank uh, technological uh, think tank in Taiwan. Uh, based on the uh, technologies transfer from U.S. Uh, and other worlds, uh, with the global growing demand uh, from the electronics and the communication industry, Taiwan has uh, gradually uh, developed a completed semiconductor ecosystem, or we say it's a very solid cluster in Taiwan, uh, from foundry to IC design and also the equipment. Okay. Um, on the other side, uh, if we see the Netherlands side, mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. it has uh, been an important country in the semiconductor industry, especially holding the key technologies in advanced manufacturing of semiconductors. The leading Dutch company uh, like Philips uh, was once the top semiconductor company around the world. Uh, the semiconductor manufacturing unit and part of uh, Philips uh, equipment units uh, transformed to NXP and Esmore. Uh, respectively. Uh, both have been the key players in the global semiconductor industry to date. Okay, so um, if we see the connection between the Dutch and the Taiwanese semiconductor industries uh, can be traced back to Philips, okay, uh, which uh, uh, started uh, investment in Taiwan in 1966. Um, at that time, Taiwan just uh, began to develop the semiconductor industry. And uh, since Philips already had a mature uh, packaging operation in Taiwan, uh, coupled with uh, very, very much uh, technologies and uh, patents, uh, Philips became an important partner for Taiwan's semiconductor industry. Uh, I believe Mila and I will uh, tell you more uh, about the details later. Wow, so both Netherlands and Taiwan invest in semiconductor industry at some point. Any collaborations or connection between the two countries? 
And when it comes to semi-industry, how are the two countries impact the world? Taiwan and the Netherlands, both tiny countries with a small home market, share their key position in the global semiconductor market. Their firms are linked by supplier relations. For example, ASML, the Dutch manufacturing of the most advanced chip-making equipment, has more than 60% market share. And TMC, the world's largest dedicated independent semiconductor foundry, is one of the main customers of the photolithographic machines of ASML. In both countries, we see also clusters of high-tech activities in the Netherlands, especially in the Eindhoven region and in Taiwan in the Sintu region. So the Eindhoven region, also known under the name Brainport, is also home to a lot of Taiwanese companies. Um, we see also cl- other clusters of Taiwanese firms, Rotterdam and Amsterdam. And the Taiwanese presence in the Netherlands is striking, with more than 200 companies active there. But also Dutch firms have found their way to Taiwan. Since 2015, responsible for the most foreign direct investments. Yeah, and I echo Mila and provide <clears throat> some figures about the investment of Dutch firms in sure. Taiwan. Yeah, if we look the uh, FDI statistics, um, the Netherlands uh, is Taiwan's main source of foreign investment, ranked top uh, one at least in the past 10 years. So, um, and the reason, uh, the first reason is, uh, we know, Netherlands uh, holds a high degree of freedom in business environment. So many multinational companies set up their financial center in the Netherlands and invest in various locations around the world, also including Taiwan. And, but except for uh, this reason, uh, the close connections between Taiwan and the Netherlands is uh, in the um, semiconductor, electronics, and green energy, like offshore winding uh, energy investment is quite large. Um, all of these uh, make the uh, very big uh, investment numbers from Netherlands to Taiwan. And not only Philips used to be the main uh, founders of TSMC, uh, ESMO, uh, this is a big manufacturing equipment uh, leader, also have has a very considerable uh, presence in Taiwan. Uh, ESMO now in Taiwan has uh, manufacturing and also global EUV training center and equipment refurbishment centers here. Mm, okay, from your sharing, we can see very strong relations between the two countries. Uh, speaking of the link and the connection from history perspective, the Dutch East India Company was doing the business with the Taiwan back in the 17th century. The two countries have had the collaboration since then. Is that right? Yes, you're right. Apart from the short Dutch Formosa period, we also know that Dutch water experts were early 20th century interested in the water management activities in Taiwan. But it was especially from the 1960s onwards that Taiwan and the Netherlands became increasingly connected via industrial languages. Imported were the activities of the Dutch multinational Philips. Um, Philips was established in 1891 in Eindhoven as a light bulb manufacturer. After an invitation to visit Taiwan, uh, early 1960s, Fritz Philips supported investing in Taiwan. And four years later, Philips was the first European company to invest in the so-called export processing zone in Kaohsiung, 
So uh, there in the south of Taiwan, the Taiwanese government uh, had established the export processing zone to encourage inward foreign direct investment. They offered modern port facilities, tax intensive and no duties on equipment and parts used for export products. So Philips in the production plant in Kaohsiung started to make magnetic memory matrices. And soon the firm expanded its uh, investment also in more capital-intensive production. Uh, worth noticing is the decision in 1970 uh, to set up black and white picture tube production. The tubes were for Taiwanese-based set makers, uh, mainly American firms. These investment represented a long-term commitment. So the factory could not be easily dismantled and removed to another country. Uh, the investment in the picture tube factory also illustrates another point. So Philips shifts from labor intensive towards more technology intensive products. So this more long-term focused internationalization policy of Philips also became clear in the 1980s. Um, at that time, wage levels increased and many foreign investors who were attracted in the 1960s and 1970s by cheap labor left Taiwan. But uh, Philips stayed and became even more embedded. It expanded its activities in the second half of the 1980s further into IC activities. Thank you, uh, Mila. You tell a very... Um a clear history about the Philips operation in Taiwan. And actually, it's uh, undertake uh, so many different phases. Indeed, um, in the uh, mid-1970s, uh, uh, Philips invest in Taiwan had shifted from cost-driven to more capital and technology incentive. Um, and Philips had uh, seven factories in Taiwan, its peak. I just provide additional example. Uh, like uh, Zhongli Factory uh, was once the Philips uh, Global Monitor Products uh, Development and Marketing Center. And Kaohsiung Plant is one of the Philips, uh, one of the three uh, global semiconductor wafer packaging and testing centers, as well as the Asia Pacific region's uh, logistics support and uh, logistic uh, center. Okay. And in the 1990s, uh, Philips was uh, the largest uh, foreign company in Taiwan with sales uh, existing uh, 200 billion uh, new Taiwanese dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a quite uh, like a, a giant uh, company in Taiwan yeah. uh, at that time. Uh, however, uh, as uh, Mila said, um, Philips uh, downsizing its operation in Taiwan in the end of the 1990s. Um, this reflects uh, the, the changed investment environment and industrial development of Taiwan. At that time, uh, yeah, we know, um, at that time, Taiwan's uh, cost uh, is rising up mm -hmm. and uh, the policy towards China is also changed. So many Taiwanese companies moved their production to China. And actually, Philips just followed uh, the same movement uh, of Taiwanese companies uh, and then shift the cost-driven production of uh, mature products uh, like the tube and the monitors, this kind of uh, products uh, China. Okay, and although uh, Philips closed uh, several factories in 2001 and to reduce the number of employees in Taiwan, uh, meanwhile, uh, Philips also established the East Asia Research Center in Taiwan. So 
we can see uh, it's like a transformation stage. So try to transform Taiwan to a cost-driven uh, production site to a more high-end and R&D-driven uh, site. Um, and also at the same time, uh, the teams of Philips Taiwan also helped the establishment of Philips uh, new production site in China and other uh, subsidiaries in Southeast Asia countries. So um, Taiwan, uh, Philips in Taiwan at that time is like a technical hub and also provide uh, a lot of assistance uh, to, to other sub subsidiaries. And uh, uh, if we, in terms of the div division of labor uh, between the different locations, uh, we can see Taiwan is like uh, do more high-end and uh, uh, R&D road and other sites in the Southeast Asia countries maybe to do the mature uh, production. So we, we can notice there is a critical knowledge outflow, outflow uh, from Taiwan to uh, other subsidiaries. So um, here we can see uh, Philips uh, is quite different uh, from uh, 1980s uh, operation. And until now, uh, we can see uh, the Philips are more focused on the like, uh, medical care and lightening uh, business in Taiwan. Wow, that's a quite a story that you can see a company uh, change their strategy by time by time from different time in their subsidiary uh, base in Taiwan. So let's back to the semiconductor. Um, so Taiwan was the part of the Philips uh, overseas expansion, and it became the hub of the East Asia of them, right? Uh, does this have anything to do with TSMC? Uh, sure, sure. Um, of course, in investing uh, TSMC is part of the uh, investment uh, plans uh, done by the Philips in Taiwan in the 1980s. Um, at that time, actually, uh, at, along with the growing uh, electronic industry and the demand on chips, uh, the government and industrial leaders like Maurice Zhang, um, the founder of TMC, mm -hmm. sought um, the developing the idea of developing a foundry business model uh, might be is an opportunity for Taiwan. Uh, the foundry uh, company or business model, uh, it, it means. Um, TSMC provide the professional services for the chip uh, design companies. Uh, and the TSMC just play a very critical role of manufacturer uh, for the chip design company's so-called fabulous uh, business. Uh, however, as TSMC founded uh, at that time, um, this is a quite new business model for mm -hmm. uh, Taiwanese business and also the whole society. So um, most of the local companies uh, just uh, had doubts about this foundry business model and uh, hesitated to invest uh, TSMC. So given that uh, Philips uh, already set up semiconductor packaging factories in Taiwan for 20 decades at that time, uh, almost holding uh, the key technologies and also capital, Taiwan government and the research institute, ITRI, uh, approached Philips to invest in uh, TSMC. Yes, and there are also other reasons why the Taiwanese government saw Philips as a good partner. Participation of the Dutch multinational would increase the credibility of the joint venture TSMC. That would secure additional funding from private investors and it would also make the recruitment of an experienced management team from the US easier. And finally, it would make the joint venture more attractive for national and other international customers. 
Oh, so this is the legend of how it all begins. What do you think、um, was the main reason for Philips decided to invest in TSMC, and what kind of the support did Philips provide to TSMC? Uh, yes.、Um, at that time,、uh, as we said,、uh, Philips already invest in Taiwan for about twenty years,、mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, components uh, making to semiconductor packaging and the testing.、Mm. So,、um, if uh, Philips uh, invest in the Uh, like a wafer,、uh, so it's a it's a very good idea at that time because by investing in the TSMC, Philips can move upstream from packaging and testing to wafer instead of、uh, shipping the wafers from Europe.、Uh, Europe. So I think from the cost uh, consideration, uh, it's a it's a good idea to invest TSMC. Yes, and of course, Philips could also have set up its own fabrication facility in Taiwan. But investing in TSMC would be much cheaper, forty million instead of two hundred million US dollars, and it would also be difficult to get enough experts for a whole Philips-owned wafer factory in Taiwan. There was also another reason why participating in TSMC was an advantage for Philips, one that was related to the specific business model、um, as of TSMC as a foundry, as an independent foundry. TSMC would only focus on wafer production, and the design and selling of IC products was left to other semiconductor firms. So TSMC would never compete on the EC market with Philips chip manufacturing activities.、Um, the specific foundry setup would also have another advantage by producing silicon wafers based on the design specifications of its clients. TSMC would remain updated with the latest developments. And thus, via TSMC, Philips would be able also in the future to get access to state-of-the-art semiconductor knowledge, very important in such a knowledge-intensive sector. And finally, investing in TSMC、uh, would also strengthen Philips' position in Taiwan and in the Far East, especially in the EC market, a growing market at that moment. Apart from capital investment, the cooperation between Philips and TSMC also extended to intellectual property and technology transfers, which were key for TSMC's initial operation stage. So Philips agreed to transfer its existing very large-scale integrated technology and also its cost licensing agreements with most of the world's semiconductor companies. Um, to TSMC, and this offered、uh, TSMC IP rights protection. In return, Philips received three percent of the every re- wafer for the next ten years. To transfer the technical knowledge and expertise, TSMC engineers visited Philips research laboratories in Europe. So tight connections and exchange of knowledge and expertise between the two firms. So it's not just the capital. That's also the talent, training, also the IP, also the technology. All the things that yeah, how the、uh, Philips helps the TSMC. So these are indeed the involvement of at many different levels. And、uh, in business, we are more familiar with the type of the collaboration, like、uh, acquiring a joint venture or joint research. However. From that we were just talking, Philips is taking a very、uh, different approach. So there's a key person behind this to give a push, right? Uh, definitely. Uh, yes. Um, and here, uh, Mila and I would like to 
uh, highlight a key gentleman. Uh, it is Y.C. Low, uh, Low Yiqiang. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Low uh, was the country head of Philips uh, Taiwan and was undoubtedly uh, the key person in the process of transformation uh, of uh, Philips oper Operation Taiwan. Uh, YC Low had joined Philips Taiwan in the uh, 1960s, uh, became its first uh, Taiwanese president, and later also a member of the executive board of Philips Group in the Netherlands. Uh, this is a very rare um, example, uh, I mean, for uh, Asian people to get a high uh, position uh, in the uh, management team. So YC Low uh, successfully uh, transformed the knowledge um, which uh, uh, trans transferred from headquarters and developed the core competence of Philips in Taiwan at that time. Um, but if we uh, read the uh, some uh, materials or literatures, we can understand uh, YC Low at that time actually used to have some different views on strategy with headquarters in the Netherlands uh, based on the context of Taiwan as a manufacturing site. Uh, YC Low proposed and strongly promoted uh, the concept of uh, total quality management TQM. Um, TQM, uh, the concept, this concept is uh, from Japanese system. Uh, and uh, we have to worth uh, mentioning is that uh, Philips Taiwan was the second non-Japanese firm to win uh, the Diamond uh, Award. Okay. Uh, Diamond Award is uh, like a, a benchmark mm -hmm. uh, for a company uh, which uh, to improve the quality uh, management system. So uh, it's a very key uh, milestone for Philips operation uh, in Taiwan. Uh, and we have to say uh, the, the whole TQM practices and the culture have taken roots in Taiwanese industries, also formed the solid foundation for Taiwan to play an important role uh, in the supply chain uh, so far. Um, actually, this uh, spread out uh, process uh, is uh, related to uh, YC Lowe's um, culture to uh, operate the whole Philips in, in Taiwan. Uh, I, I would like to uh, share more uh, details here. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, YC Lowe actually keep a very open-minded um, to uh, manage the talents. Uh, he trained people and never worry about uh, the talent flow out to other companies or to overseas uh, companies. The knowledge accumulate, uh, accumulated by uh, systematic uh, training in Philips Taiwan and cross-border knowledge flows uh, based on openness mindset are both key aspects uh, to explain the contribution of Philips Taiwan to local high-tech uh, industries, also mm -hmm. important element of industrial uh, innovation. Here, I would like to share some uh, examples uh, the first is uh, about the packaging and testing uh, industry. Uh, nowadays, uh, in Taiwan, we have uh, many uh, companies in, in this field. Yes. And all of them, uh, more or less, uh, has uh, connections to uh, uh, Philips uh, Kaohsiung uh, factories. Um, and another case uh, is about IZ Design uh, Company in Taiwan. Uh, today, here, uh, we have... Uh, uh, several uh, IC companies, and actually they are related to YC Lowe's uh, initiative and uh, uh, Philip's decision. Uh, the story is, uh, is um, YC Lowe ever planned to set up an IC design center in Taiwan and then can help the uh, packaging and testing business to more 
uh, upstream. So Taiwan can have a whole uh, ecosystem. However, this idea did not uh, get a support from the headquarters uh, at that time. And in the end, uh, just operate the back-end design uh, in the, instead. Uh, so the recruited talents uh, were uh, transformed or outflowed uh, into uh, several IC design companies. But this is also uh, a starting point of Taiwan to uh, develop the IC design uh, business. Wow, so Y0 was the key person to uh, British in Taiwan and Netherlands, especially, especially in this kind of the industry transformation. And you can see a lot of uh, influence, not just in one company, and then expand to other companies for the whole uh, industry change by one man. That's very impressive. So from your research, what did uh, Philips learn from the movement? I mean, uh, for a larger scale, how does it change the global uh, supply chain? Uh, yes, um, I think we might take a broader perspective, uh, like uh, Will said, um, to see Philips' investment in Taiwan. Um, the histories uh, we, we mentioned uh, not only just show the up and down of its operation in Taiwan, but also the knowledge flows embedded in organizational changes. Um, it is worth mentioning that uh, the high-tech uh, talents uh, cultivated or trained by Philips Taiwan floored to different companies, industries, uh, along with uh, Philips uh, selling out uh, or, de or decreasing its uh, business size in Taiwan. Uh, this group of uh, talents uh, holding the culture of Philips Taiwan have contributed uh, to the whole high-tech industries afterwards. And um, so far, uh, Taiwan has played an important role in the global supply chain uh, with its high efficiency, high quality manufacturing capabilities. And also it's a very uh, trustworthy uh, partner for uh, global uh, companies. Uh, but this advantage uh, should contribute to the uh, long-term learning uh, from Taiwanese companies interacting with multinational companies uh, under the uh, OEM business model uh, or other uh, forms of uh, cooperation. Uh, like Philips, uh, outsourcing its semiconductor packaging and testing to Taiwan, but not just about uh, the, the labor uh, shifting to Taiwan. It also... Uh, very delicate uh, flaws and the two ways uh, floor of the knowledge. As Jun Poo mentioned earlier, the talents cultivated by Philips flow to various companies. Some of them start new business, but a full picture of their contribution to the development of the high-tech industry in Taiwan is not yet available. That's also the reason why we want to do more research into these trickle-down effects. Finally, Philips' activities in Taiwan also show how the impact of foreign direct investment on a host country is determined by the investment strategy and goals of the firm. So Philips was one of the few foreign multinationals with a long-term perspective uh, in Taiwan. It had already in an early phase invested in more advanced products and the search for cheap labor was not the only driver of its investments in Taiwan. In the words of IC Low, there are two ways a multinational company may choose to develop in a region. One is to squeeze out all the possible benefits during a short period. 
The other is to set up for the long one. We always vote for the latter path. End quote. So what we also see is that Philip's localized development policy contributed to its embeddedness in Taiwan. Managers were promoted from within the subsidiary rather than shipped from the headquarters in Taiwan. So I see Lowe was a clear example. This attitude also made Philips an interesting partner for the Taiwanese government as an investor in TSMC. I think the, the, the one you're just talking about, the saying from the YC law that uh, when there is a two-way to choice, in the Philips philosophy, they always vote for the, the longer run. That's really impressive and very touch. And so we can see there are a positive side of it. And also at the same time, as you say, that there are areas that we are still exploring deeper. So as you, yeah, I want to ask another question is that when we think about innovation, uh, what can we learn from the history? Ah, nice question. Well, what we see is how important an open attitude to learning is. This mindset contributed to the development of the Taiwanese semiconductor industry, but also Philip's interest to invest in TSMC was driven by getting access to Taiwanese knowledge sources. Another aspect that's prime importance for innovation is cooperation, and cooperation is impossible without trust between partners. As we mentioned earlier, Philips was also an interesting partner for the Taiwanese government because Philips' involvement in Taiwan went back to the 1960s. So the long-term relation contributed to a trustful relation. And building trust takes time. A more general lesson is that also industrial change takes time. Relevant, relevant when we think of one of the reactions to the global chip shortage, what you me- will mention in the beginning of this podcast. Uh, the European Union is discussing to create more IC production capacity in its own region and establishing a high-technology-intensive industrial sector like semiconductors cannot be done overnight. Knowledge building and the development of a relevant ecosystem, strong cluster, takes time. The Taiwanese government started to invest in the essential knowledge infrastructure in 1973 with the establishment of uh, E3, the Industrial Technology Research Institute, and its semiconductors and electronics laboratory a year later. This uh, electronics research service organization also was key for TSMC and also UMC, the other major Taiwanese semiconductor company. We see this also when we look at the Dutch ASML the roots of what is now the most profitable machine manufacturer for the chip-making industry go back to the 1960s. So taking a long-term perspective can illuminate these roots, making clear how current strengths are built over time. Yeah, just like you say, not just change overnight. Okay, Jim, you want to add something to this part? Uh, yes. Um, nowadays, we can observe so many countries are quite eager to build up their own uh, semiconductor industries or uh, electronic vehicles industries. But we have to say um, the clusters uh, cannot uh, build up uh, just overnight. Mm-hmm. So if we see the uh, development uh, trajectory, of uh, industries in Taiwan or the Netherlands, we can find some uh, lessons. Um, and the, one of the most important is the local knowledge base of a cluster. Uh, 
the knowledge base uh, normally includes some uh, indispensable components. Uh, one is the research institutes, uh, such as uh, ITRIs in Taiwan, and the second is uh, university, uh, such as uh, universities in Xinjiang area or in uh, Enhoven uh, in Netherlands, and the third is uh, companies. So um, these different uh, components uh, actually play the different roles. The research institutes uh, provide the training and tech technical support to the companies mm -hmm. and create new technology for the cluster to transform and renew it over time. And universities uh, educate and train the human resources and serve as an incubator for startups uh, based on a very close tie uh, with the industries. Also further support the growth uh, or the evolution of the cluster. Uh, finally, uh, companies, uh, a group of companies here in the cluster uh, as the carrier of the knowledge. Um, these companies can uh, integrate uh, knowledge from different sources, uh, in particularly in an open ecosystem. Uh, we, we highlight uh, again and again uh, is the, the importance of the, uh, openness. Mm -hmm. So uh, this kind of openness can drive uh, innovations. So I think uh, that the job of the government is to think about uh, how to establish uh, the local knowledge base in a specific region. Um, and uh, uh, the, the key uh, issue is to uh, build up a very close uh, linking uh, between research institutions, universities, and the companies, uh, also with the high openness. Thank you, Jinpu and Mila. Uh, I note down three things here. Open attitude is how you do it, and trust and long-term relationship is a key of innovative collaboration. Based on the fact we see uh, it takes time to the, for the industries to make the change. So when we are playing our strategy, these are the important things to think about. It's always inspiring to look back in the history and how it created the world we see today. Who knows that the innovation move that a Dutch company put into Taiwan ended up to be the strongest player in the world. And it also provides us a stepping stone for Philips to become a great corporate today. So, Ajimbo and Mila, uh, you are doing something to keep the link, right? I heard about that, uh, the link between Taiwan and Nissan, right? So I heard about a fascinating prank called uh, House of Taiwanese-Dutch narrative. Could you share more about this? Yes, there are so many interesting connections between Taiwan and the Netherlands in the past and still today. Our fascination is the driving force of the House of Taiwanese Dutch Narratives. The House of Taiwanese Dutch Narratives. It's not a physical place and it's a house under construction. It's a project in the making, focusing on the Taiwanese Dutch connection, a research project with the goal to systematically map these connections from an historical perspective and to show the results in various forms. So not only to the scientific world, but also to a broader public in blogs, podcasts, and good accessible books, etc. So the house also stands for a growing group of researchers interested to participate and for an increasing number of people 
actually connect or connected the two countries and are sharing their experiences with us. What we share today with you is only the top of the iceberg. There is still a lot to be investigated. We want to know more about present-day cooperation and its roots and also dig deeper for a full picture. For example, about Philip's involvement in Taiwan and the trickle-down effects of his investments. To find all those engineers, managers, etc. who worked for Philips in the past and went to other companies and started for themselves and see uh, how they contributed. Um, we want to know not only what this meant for Taiwan, but also the other way around. How important the Taiwanese connections were for Dutch business and Dutch society. This reciprocity is very important for us. Uh, we started with Philips and the semiconductor industry, but we know that in other domains, like for instance water management, close relations between the two countries existed and still exist. Engineers who went to the International Institute for Hydraulic Engineering, Delft, for instance, have become very important for Taiwan's manage water management policy. So our experience is that once you start telling that you are interested in the Taiwanese-Dutch connection, a lot of people stress that these are exceptional relations that bind the two countries together. Like the house, the information outlets are also still under construction, but dropping an email to me, m.davids at tua.nl, and I will be more than happy to respond and get in contact with you. Uh, we are therefore very pleased that um, you will in the Netherlands Office Taipei offer us the ability to tell about our initiative already in such an early stage of the project. So um, if you are listening to this podcast and want to share with us your story of your Dutch or Taiwanese connection, no additional interesting topics to explore or are interested to participate in the research project yourself, I hope that you will contact us. Uh, if any of our audience is interested, don't miss the chance. I think the, I will repeat the email. It's m.davis, D-A-V-I-D-S, at T-U-E dot N-A-L-O. We will put in uh, this email to our uh, show details so you can follow up. Uh, thank you for sharing the contact details with us, Mila. Thank you, and we will look forward to getting in contact with you. In the coming years, I will be sure we will reveal a lot more untold, very interesting stories regarding the Taiwanese-Dutch connections. We were looking forward to let uh, the project's house going in the future. So today, we deep dive into how Philips does its innovation as a corporate and a collaboration between the Netherlands and Taiwan that creates the success of the industry. Thank you for joining us today and share your insight on the topic. Thank you, Jinpu and Mila. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm also very happy to join the construction of the house and look forward to exploring more about Philips and the histories in Taiwan. Thank you. Thank you. This is Innovation Matters. Hope you enjoy this episode. Next time, we will share other innovation and technology story between Taiwan and Netherlands. Stay tuned. See you. Bye-bye.